This is episode number 60 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, it's Jesse here sneaking in before we get to today's show. It is World Doula Week and we are replaying the highly popular To Birth and Beyond episode number 24, which was the role of the doula with Babo Mia, a doula education company with co-founders Bianca and Natasha. We speak with Bianca and Natasha about their journeys to becoming doulas, the spectrum of support doulas can offer, including work in fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. We talk about how the care of a doula differs from a midwife in birth, what a postpartum doula might assist new babies and parents with and how their business is educating doulas differently within an industry that is predominantly based on a heteronormative cisgendered able-bodied thin white middle-class model if you'd like to learn more about babo mia you can head to today's show notes or go to babomia.com b-e-b-o-m-i-a.com And one last thing before we get into today's episode, I have news for you. If you are a postpartum exercise enthusiast, a trainer, a coach, or a women's health professional, this will be especially noteworthy. I am hosting the second annual postnatal fitness fast track series. This is a free, fully online, three-part video training course. I'm going to be sending you three brand new coaching videos that are five-minute max on the 9th, 11th, and 14th of April, straight to your email inbox. These videos cover strategies for reducing pelvic pain in lower body strength training movements, how to coach a pelvic floor friendly variation of breath holding for when your client or patient needs to lift heavy or awkward loads in life or exercise, and finally, considerations for coaching abdominal crunches to clients who may or may not have core or pelvic floor dysfunctions. If you are looking to better support your current or future postpartum patients or clients, this free video series will give you some key ideas on how to do so. After today's show, jump over to jessiemundell.com forward slash PFFT to join or go to the show notes where the postnatal fitness fast track volume two information will be linked. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome on to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. And today we're so excited to have two special guests join us to talk about doula care for, for, for fertility, birth, and postpartum care. So starting with Bianca Sprague. So she's the CEO of Babel Mia Inc. and Baby and Me Fitness, is a badass queer entrepreneur and mom to Graydon. She lives in Toronto and co-parents with her partner, Alana. Bianca feels especially passionate about creating access to quality pre- and postnatal care for 
marginalized communities. She is an advocate for mental wellness for the entire family and especially for birthing parents after suffering from postpartum depression in silence and losing her father to suicide in 2012. Most recently, Bianca elected to undergo a hysterectomy and has a lot of insight to share on her experience navigating the healthcare system. She's got a wealth of information on what to ask and how to create a recovery plan that works best for you and your unique needs. And our second guest is Natasha Marchan, who is the COO of Babo Meal Inc. and Baby and Me Fitness, and is a super talented creative genius that turned her passion for babies and fitness into a lifelong career. She lives in Toronto with her husband, Chris, and two daughters, Sadie and Margot. Natasha is a pre and postnatal fitness professional and birth doula. After a long fertility journey and her, with her first daughter, Natasha has positioned herself as a fertility expert. She specializes in working with families with a history of trying to conceive through their pregnancy and postpartum period. Most recently, Natasha had a cesarean birth. She found this experience particularly challenging because she felt like her choice was completely taken away from her. She feels like the removal of choice from birthing people has a profound impact on the postpartum experience. So thank you so much, Bianca and Natasha, for joining Jess and I today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Now, is there anything that we didn't mention that you'd like to share with our audience a bit about you or about your work or about your home life as well? We were just having a chuckle to ourselves because our marketing director wrote that about us. And I was like, whoa, that was kind of boasty. I know. I was like, it really it's sounds crazy. like I'm bragging there. <laughs> One of the, the big pieces is around the education that Natasha and I, we both obviously have our separate areas, but um, in general, one of the things that we've been really focusing on with Babel Mia is a lot of the social justice work around um, reproductive health, um, including the um, creating a gender neutral experience so that we take the um, pronouns she and her out of the birthing experience um, to support our trans and gender non-conforming folks. And we have been doing a lot of work towards better outcomes for racialized maternal health. Fantastic. That's incredible. Can you tell us a bit more about why you both decided to become doulas? Yeah, I can start. I, you know, my path to becoming a doula was, you know, sometimes I think it was different than a lot of people. And then and then sometimes I realize it's pretty similar. So I, I started my work as a doula before I had children. And so that I felt was unique. Like I felt like I was the only person that, that does did that. But a lot of people actually pick up this passion and this drive to support people through pregnancy and birth um, before they have their own children. And so um, it all kind of started with me working a desk job and working these really long hours. And I knew that eventually I wanted to have children. And I knew that when I had those children, I, I didn't want to work 16 hour days. Like I wanted to be there with them. I wanted to pick them up from school. Like it, that was a really important piece for me and a part of my values for when I did start a family. So part of becoming a doula was this switch that I had from this full-time job into um, health and wellness, where I was a fitness instructor. And then for some reason, I just like started loving when pregnant people came to my class and working with them and like researching for them and getting them ready for birth and all of that. So it, I just ended down that rabbit hole of like loving birth. And, and I started attending births with some of the clients that I was working with for their health and wellness. And um, that's how I, I just kind of fell into birth work all those years ago. And then 
for many years as a doula, that's when I started trying to have a family. And then I was struggling with infertility and then also supporting people through birth and pregnancy, which had its pros and cons, as you can imagine. Um, (laughs) It was a wild ride. (laughs) It was a wild ride. But for the most part, like, even though I was struggling to have a family of my own, I was really happy to see my clients when they had babies, although there was a lot of emotion when the babies were born. Um, And then so from there, that's where I ended up specializing, working with women who have struggled with infertility and now are pregnant because this, this experience is much more unique to them and it's different than somebody who gets pregnant like kind of easily so that's me in a nutshell I guess <laughs> um interestingly both Natasha and I fell in love with birth um the actual experience of birth with our um like with our within our families so Natasha actually watched her sister have her baby and was her like quote-unquote doula for that Um, And then I fell in love with birth watching my mom have an illegal home birth in the 80s in Vancouver. And just I couldn't believe when my little sister was born. Like I was like, this was the coolest thing that I've ever witnessed. And um, and I knew I actually planned to be uh, an OB-GYN. And then I realized after the birth of my daughter um, 11 years ago that my OB-GYN was like, did not have the relationship to birth that I imagined. Like I didn't really see them that often and he wasn't even at my birth and they were just kind of like there to move forward a a more medicalized path for me. So versus my doula, I was like, oh my gosh, you have the exact job I want. Like you cared about me in pregnancy and you were there through my whole labor and you checked up on me and like you got to be part of that intimate element of birth that I fell in love with. So right after Gray was born, I um, I did my doula training. And Natasha and I, ironically, did our trainings at the same time with different organizations and then met and fell in love and started Babel Mia shortly after that. Um, so we're, you know, 10 years into this wild ride in reproductive health. <laughs> That's so amazing. And knowing uh, knowing both of you, I know how passionate you are about the whole doula care experience. And both Jess and I had birth doulas with our first birth. And But we know we have listeners who have never had a doula or a lot of my physio clients, I'm actually explaining to them what a doula is. Yeah. So can you share a bit more about specifically what are the services and support so a birth doula would offer, but then also what a postpartum doula offers? Sure. Uh, The most common definition of a doula that you're going to hear is that they support a person emotionally, physically, and with information during their pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and in our case, also with fertility as well. And so what that means is that, you know, I I like to talk about it being like your best friend and your your childbirth educator that's yours for one-on-one support. So you, you have somebody that you can call and and talk to during your pregnancy, but then also that somebody that's coming to your home and helping you learn um, your options for birth and as well as your different breathing techniques and like all the, all the things you would do to get ready for the, um, the labor and setting yourself up for the postpartum period. And then also giving you that information should you have to make a decision for your pregnancy. So for example, um, if you were moving into an induction or if your healthcare provider was asking about induction, you can start looking at all your options surrounding induction. And then your doula can give you the non-biased information so that you can make the decision that's right for you and right for your family and right for your baby. 
that sound about right? I was like, wow, that was real great. That was like a, a textbook answer. Um, and and there's, I mean, the the range of questions that doulas, you know, that you get, whether it's through the fertility clients, birth clients, or postpartum clients, um, it's everything. Like even just today, from one of my clients who had a baby, it was like, my baby's face is dry. What should I put on it? And um, does this photo of, you know, his forcep mark on his face look like it's healing? Okay. You know, all of these kinds of questions. So, um, it's, it's so important for families to know that they can get that kind of, um, like clear evidence-based answers to whatever they're asking because our healthcare system doesn't really offer that kind of ongoing support for them. And, you know, oftentimes as well, our friends and family don't offer that unbiased Mm-hmm. evidence-based support either right so sometimes you ask friends and family you know what should I do about this situation and the information that comes back to you is based on that person's lived experience whereas doulas were trained and taught that we don't give our opinion or unsolicited advice we look for the uh, evidence and then we provide the evidence all sides of the evidence so it's not biased where it's like here's all the information about the thing that I want you to do. (laughs) It's like the information about everything so they can make the right decision. And that's really hard to find anywhere, especially in our healthcare system and with our friends and family. So the doula is that person that bridges the gap between the information you're getting from friends and family and the information you're getting from the hospital. Wow. That's such a good point actually. And something that I've appreciated the most through my care through two pregnancies too Uh, is exactly what you said, being offered the information on both sides, all sides, and then being able to make those decisions for yourself. I think that that is so powerful for people. Mm -hmm. I'm so interested in this next question we have for you because I have never heard of this. What is a fertility doula and what support do they offer? It's the same thing. So you, you, it's, having that informational, that unbiased informational support as well as that emotional support. And even sometimes too with the physical support. So for anybody who's ever been through infertility, we do know that this is a very emotional experience. It's hard. Um, There's a lot of decisions that need to be made. There's a lot of procedures and exams that you go through. Um, And for a lot of us, we just don't have the outside support of people who truly understand the experience of infertility. So, um, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's ever been through infertility, oftentimes we talk to our friends and family and they just don't know how to support us. They just don't know the right things to say um, and are saying things that make the situation less less, less uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. You know, so like this idea of them saying, oh, you know, it'll happen when it's happy, it'll happen, or you just need to relax and all of those things, which is like all the things that are unhelpful, where a fertility doula is there to listen. And, and we also understand the experience of infertility. So we know, you know, what advice to give, not even really advice, but what information to give and what comes from evidence and what doesn't. So, you know, just relax and you'll get pregnant is, <laughs> is not evidence based. Um, you know, there are pieces, there are ways to relax to make things easier as you're going through these treatments, but like, go on, go on a vacation and you'll probably come back pregnant. Doesn't, doesn't cut it. There's not a lot of of research on that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, I think there is research that's because a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, my friend adopted and then they got pregnant. You know, like we hear that a lot as if it's fact. Um, but I think the actual studies around that is like 8% of people will go on to get pregnant after adoption. Like it's a small percentage. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so giving those facts is what we're there for. And then with the physical, it's, it's attending appointments with people. There's a lot during cycle monitoring and during um, diagnostic testing. There's a lot of times where a person or an individual is doing tests that they don't want to do. They're very um, invasive, sometimes painful, and they don't have the support around them of somebody to come and hold their hand or wait for them or somebody to call on the phone after the procedure's done um, or somebody to sit with them and truly understand that two weeks of waiting from doing a procedure to finding out if a pregnancy has come from that. And so there's just so much there and there's so much room for growth in this area of fertility doula work because you know more and more people are finding out that their path to pregnancy is not as easy as they once thought it would be. I think that's such a great explanation for all three types of doula training, but exactly with fertility, I think a lot of people have no idea that this support is offered. Um, and so when Jess and I were talking about having future guests on, I was like, we need to have Bianca and Natasha on because not only do I know you are both an amazing, amazing doulas, but I love what you've created with Babel Mia in terms of your doula training um, program. And for those listeners who don't know, I've gone through doula training for physiotherapists specifically, which was a separate course. But then I also really wanted to take doula training that was offered to anyone. So anyone in terms of that could do the doula training. So I chose to do the Babel Mia um, program and it was fantastic. And I love that they covered pelvic health information, which usually is lacking and they definitely covered it. Um, so I was wondering if you can explain to everyone listening, what is involved in the training to actually become a doula? Well, Anita, since you did the training, we actually added four more weeks to the program. So now it's 16 weeks long, which is very exciting. So our program is, is very unique. Um, and when Natasha and I, when we did our doula trainings, we did a weekend training because that's all that was available, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, and when we did it, we both felt very lost because we did a weekend training in person and then we went home and we were like, I guess we're doulas now. <laughs> and um, it felt very overwhelming because we were, it's, you know, it's, we are not healthcare pro professionals, but we are working within a healthcare system. Um, so I know my first birth I went into, I was terrified. Like I had my book, like of notes that I took during my training. And I was just like, I hope I remembered everything. And this was with a science background at university. Like I, this wasn't new information for me. And I still felt like just so scared and unprepared. So when Tash and I started building our doula training, I think we're in our 18th session right now. Um, we, we were like, we really want to make sure that people understand from from the conception point all the way to the first two years, um, like with the most solid information for those first six months, because that's really when a postpartum doula would work with a family. And um, so we we started doing a training in person in Toronto, and we realized that also we had lots of people reaching out saying like, can you come to Winnipeg to do it? And can you come to Halifax to do it? And obviously with a three month long training, which is now four months long, we couldn't really leave our households to go do them in other cities. So we moved our training online, which was a big game changer. Not only can we now access a global market, but it also created a community that we like did not expect. Like we were really scared to give up our school here in Toronto um, because we were like, oh, well, you know what? We didn't want people to have that experience that we had where you couldn't talk to your teacher and you couldn't talk to one another. And we actually it put it on like like jet fuel to the community. And it's it built this like amazing 
group of humans that come from different countries and come with different lived experiences and with the research of, of their hospital systems and their midwives and their, you know, family practices and their communities. And um, so our training is that 16 weeks with tons of community work and, and access to our instructors. And then um, a two year like practicum where you do fertility work and birth work and, and work with families in the postpartum period. I think that what Bianca is saying about the community was such a big piece for us too, because we had been so used to doing our doula trainings face to face and we didn't want to lose that. And then when we did jump online, um, it was just amazing what happened. Like everybody in those groups is talking to each other every day. And so it's this, like they go to their first birth and then they have a question, they put it in the group and everybody's there responding and everybody knows each other and cheers each other's on, which is when like Bianca and I started, we were like in the hallway, like practically rocking because we had no (laughs) idea what our next step was. Like, I don't know the answer to this. What do I do? Eventually Bianca and I would like call each other on the payphone um, and ask each other's questions, but that's because we connected with each other and there wasn't, we didn't have this pool in this community. And so that coupled with the idea that now people who otherwise weren't able to start this new career path now can because they don't have to pay for babysitting. They don't have to drive into the city. They don't have to do all this stuff. Um, and the other big piece for me was what does birth look like outside of the perfect birth, which was something like when we did our doula training for a weekend, all we learned was like, this is a perfect, beautiful, natural birth. And this is how you support it. Mm-hmm. Um, when really birth is happening within this system that doesn't always work so well. Um, people are terrified of birth. There's a lot of interventions when we're talking about birth and then we're putting in, um, people who are queer and people who, who, um, are are living with disabilities and, um, have different colored skin and all of this stuff and how that plays a piece. So like looking at it rather than being like, this is what one perfect birth like looks like, but this is what it's going to look like when you go step into that birth room and all of these variables are there. Mm -hmm. So important. Do you launch your course at specific times throughout the year or is it always open no we launch um so we have a march uh a march we have a march semester and then <laughs> yes. we have a spring semester which starts um in march and then we have our fall semester which starts in september that's awesome and we will absolutely link to that in the show notes and where people can find more information on it if they're interested Talk to us about what the process would look like if you were working as a birth doula with someone, how often you might see them during pregnancy, and then what it looks like when you join them during the birthing process. Well, it's an awesome question. And I would say, um, like Natasha and I always tell everybody, our grads, like how you run your business is your business. So it would vary a little bit depending on you know, the person's practice. So how Natasha and I always did it and how we continue to do it um, is we do two prenatal appointments um, with the exception if somebody is was planning a vaginal and for whatever reason in their third trimester had to change to an operative birth, then we do a third prenatal to get them ready for um, their cesarean section birth. But in general, we would say that there's two prenatals around the week um, like 30 to 32 and then around week 35. And, um, during those visits, we get them ready with their birth plan, which we call like more birth wish lists. Like what would your dream birth look like? And then let's make our five contingency plans because, you know, birth is unpredictable. Um, and then we, you know, talk about how they plan on feeding their infant. So chest feeding or breastfeeding or, 
you know, formula combination. Um, we talk about sleep in prenatal appointments, which is really important so that they understand um, the like physiology of, of newborn sleep and um, just essentially getting them ready for their, their labor and birthing day, as well as those first probably week or two afterwards. And then, um, I mean, the, our clients have the benefit of being able to reach out and text us or call us or email us through their pregnancies. So there's that ongoing support. And then as we get closer, I mean, I know when my clients are due, I talk to them every day, probably for their last 20, like last 20 or 30 days of their pregnancy, just to check in and um, see how they're feeling and see what they need. And then um, when they think they're in labor, they, you know, let us know they have 24 seven access. So um, and then we typically join them when they're in active labor, which I know can be hard for people to decide without us there. Um, so we usually like do a lot of phone calls and listen to them in labor and and try to get to them. I mean, I like to go when their surges are about seven minutes apart. Um, I usually find that's a good time that we can get in our groove before labor picks up and, and we can get them like in the right sweet spot for um, their active labor. And, uh, and then we stay through that whole process um, until the baby is born, however long that takes, and um, usually for a few hours after. And then we come back and check on them anytime in the first uh, two weeks when they're ready. We come do their postpartum follow-up and we can debrief about the birth and talk about how they felt about it and answer any baby care questions or any of the birthing person's like healing questions or um, they usually have a lot of questions about products, I find, at those, yeah. like, like how do I use this wrap that I got? Or, you know, what cream do you like better between these two? There's a lot of, of that um, at the follow-up as well. Those questions and the questions like, why won't my baby sleep if I put them down? <laughs> I know. <laughs> why is my baby hungry every five minutes? And like, I feel like those. we did all of that in pregnancy. <laughs> I'm like, remember when we talked about this? This is normal. <laughs> <laughs> And what That's... would it look like supporting someone through a cesarean birth? The same, really. I mean, we do their prenatals. Obviously, we're not waiting for labor unless they spontaneously go into labor um, before their um, birth date. Uh, but yeah, we would go to the hospital with them and we wait and well, you know, they set up the IV and they get them sorted and get them into their gown. And, um, the only difference is like the partner, if the birthing person has a partner, we don't go in for the first bit of setup in the OR. So during that time, um, if there is a, a another support person that that's when we usually get into our scrubs and put our masks and caps on and those kind of things and then we would join them at the same time as the um other parent or support person if there is one um and then we do the you know we're there for the birth and we do all the same things take care of the birthing person and then if there is another support person they usually go to the baby and make sure that they're okay on the warmer and if they want to do skin to skin or any of their birth wish lists that we can do in the or we do all of that and follow them over to the recovery room and make sure that they feel, you know, okay and that their recovery room wish list is met and then usually join them up in their room and then head home. I think a fair bit of this too is also um, prepping them. Like a lot of the work we do as doulas is done before birth happens. So mm -hmm. um, teaching them how to navigate the hospital system and teaching them, you know, what's normal for different parts of the procedure. And so we're our goal is to eliminate fear by eliminating the unknown and we do a lot of that 
prenatally. So we do walk through what the procedure looks like and what to expect and how you should feel and how the support person can best get through it. Like, you know, are they um, prepared to be in that surgical room and watch what's happening? You know, all mm-hmm. of those things is a really big part of preparing them for the surgery. So not only are we there with them physically, but emotionally we make things feel a little bit better just by taking removing away removing some of those unknowns and giving them options. So a lot of people are like, oh, now I have a cesarean birth, all of my wish list is out the window, when really there's a lot of things that can be done to make the surgical birth feel better. I think that's really great to talk about. And I know um, my personal experience and talking to clients is the support that you offer as a doula. Like people you don't necessarily realize the price, like how important that is basically until afterwards. And even partners, like I know my husband raves about our doula. Uh, he didn't really know much about doulas before we gave birth. Um, and he's like, we wouldn't give birth again without one. So mm-hmm. I think it's so, so key um, for listeners to hear that. And if they have a partner for them to hear it too, because I think sometimes there's a misconception of, is a doula replacing a partner or another support person? And they really aren't. Like, do you find that's the case that sometimes that's one of the myths or one of the misconceptions you have to go through with your clients? I would say it's the number one reason <laughs> yeah. why. And then afterwards, so many of the um, non-birth parents, which are statistically most often dads, um, that they're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to yell your name from the rooftops. Like, <laughs> they will me, oh my goodness, they like got us through and I would have never been able to like enjoy that process or I would have been so scared. And But it's the after, right? And so I'm like, go tell all your friends because <laughs> it is a myth that people believe. Like if I have a spouse or there's a second parent here, um, then we're fine. And I mean, like we're, um, Alana and I are planning another baby and she she'd be the one carrying this time. And like, I am a birth worker and I know like, I'm not going to be fine. Like she has to have a doula, which obviously Natasha is always around. So it works out <laughs> quite swimmingly. But, like, I come at a good price. <laughs> but I mean, I have the wherewithal as a birth expert that like, it doesn't matter that I'm the spouse and the birth expert. We're going to need different kinds of support than um, like, I'm going to need somebody to remind me to step out of the room and to eat and to call our family and to like, you know, make sure Gray's okay. Like all these things that um, that people forget that they they need that care and they can't. They typically don't have the stamina because it's an emotional experience for the support people. I also think too, like one of my major roles, um, I'm a very hands off doula. Um, I'm not very touchy feely, and so a lot of the work I do, I do in the prenatal. And then when I get to the birth, one of my major things I want to do is have the birth partner shine. Like I want them to be, you know, besides the birther, obviously, I want them, I want them, <laughs> star the the show. Show. I want them to be the star of the show, but I really do. Like I want the birth person to look into their partner's eyes for reassurance, to feel safe. I want their, their holding to be the thing that anchors them. Like that's what I want for them. And our presence does that because if the partner looks at us and sees that we're like knitting or like <laughs> smiling or giving thumbs up or like helping them put their hand in the right spot, they're going to know that everything's normal. Where in a birth where there is no doula present, they don't know what's normal and what's not. um, And they can get panicky really easily. And so the birther doesn't feel like their partner is that anchor and is that 
pillar of support that they need. So everything kind of gets out of control where with a doula, they're like, Oh, I got this. And then when a, when a birther looks into their eyes, they're like, ah, yeah, we're doing it. This is fine. Right. And there's this confidence that fills the room. Oh, that was really nice. I like that answer. (laughs) Well, let's lock it in. (laughs) We'll use it from now on. I know. It's so nice (laughs) to let the partner shine. I'm a very hands-on doula and I typically am hired because people are like, my husband's a bumbling fool. And I'm like, (laughs) I got this. I got this. I really like how um, earlier as well, you both mentioned about um, as a doula, your role is to provide evidence or um, to just guide clients with evidence they may not hear elsewhere or if they have questions. But there's also really great evidence towards supporting actually having a birth doula um, at your birth. So can you share a bit about what that evidence is? Oh my goodness, the new evidence on this is like, it makes me so happy in my heart. Um, the the outcomes with shorter labors, decrease of, of birth trauma leading to PTSD, decreasing postpartum depression, decreasing interventions, decreasing cesarean section rates for those people who are not intending to have an operative birth. Um, um, just better. They, they tend to feel better about their birth, right? So they're yeah. starting their postpartum um, better equipped right emotionally and physically more confident more confident and I know that with Bianca and I we follow our own stats a lot of the time and with when we had um, doulas working for us we would we would make sure that we're following our statistics and so for us here in Canada our cesarean section rate is closer to 30 percent where the cesarean section rate for our doulas and the clients that they work with was closer to to 12 percent so that's a huge change like if you think of all the people giving birth um, you know, to reduce the amount of cesarean sections by that much. And we do know the cesareans are a harder birth to go through. There's more healing that needs to happen, more support that needs to happen. Sometimes there can be separation of uh, birther and baby. And like th- we're reducing that, that, that hardship that can happen at the beginning of a cesarean birth. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to continue that, the um, one of the other big ones is the epidural rate. So right here in Canada, it's, uh, you know, it sits about, depending on the hospital, 93 to 99%. And so that's like almost everybody that has them. And that's not, you know, some people might choose to have an epidural and we fully support that. And for people that are, their plan is to not have an epidural, it's really awesome to be able to support them that they feel um, that all the sensations they're having are manageable and, and that they can, you know, meet that part of their wish list. And again, our stats decreased it to like, like it was 40 percent. I was going to say like 40 percent of our clients chose an epidural at the end of the day. So that, again, is a huge, huge reduction if that's what the client is going for is a, a reduction in the likelihood that they would have an, an epidural. Mm-hmm. So cool. I think that this is often something that my clients are confused about, and that is the difference between midwives and doulas. Can you explain to us what, just how different those roles really are? They're they're different, and also they overlap. So there are a lot of the things that the midwives will do that we also do with with that emotional support, and, you know, sometimes the the breathing techniques and the hands-on. Sometimes the midwives are able to do that as well. Midwives are really busy though with the medical side of things. So they're taking care of all the medical side of the birth where we are there like fully available for the emotional side of the birth. So we don't have to to worry about things like charting and 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 making sure that everything is set up for the birth. We are there 100% for the clients only. 
um, where a midwife, they do have all that extra work to do as far as medical. So I will say that there's a lot of overlap with the midwives and the doulas, but the doulas are are able to um, be more fully attentive with the emotional side of things. Um, and also the hands-on things mm-hmm. as well. Like we are able to do a lot of the hands-on for every contraction should we want to, where we don't have to be monitoring baby, we don't have to be monitoring blood pressure, all the stuff that takes away from, for what I think a lot of the midwives wish they could be doing is yeah. that more hands-on and more emotional stuff is often why they get into the job and then end up doing a lot of the medical procedures. Um, so yeah, that's the big difference is is that, that, um, that we don't do anything medical. Yeah, and the regulation, it really threw off the midwifery game for those people who, like Natasha said, that was what they wanted to do. They essentially were like doulas who who were catching babies. Um, But now with um, ACOG and the SOGC, so those are the governing bodies for obstetricians and midwives in Canada and the U.S., and they require like so much. And in the hospital, it would be, you know, a team of nurses and they have clerks and they have admin people like all doing that stuff. And at a home birth or a hospital birth with a midwife, it's one or two of them, maybe a student midwife as well, that are doing the job that in under obstetrical obstetric care with a, like a OB, um, they'd have a whole team doing it. So what they used to do, they actually don't really have time to do anymore. Um, like Natasha was saying. I think that's a really good way to explain it because I know I definitely have a lot of clients with that, um, with those questions. And I was glad to know that going into my birth, having a midwife, and I was like, definitely need to have a doula because I think a lot of people are very surprised when they do have a midwife and realize how much paperwork that they're actually doing, that they don't have time to do hip squeezes, every contraction, or getting the TENS machine or getting the tub ready, um, that I think a doula is so invaluable for all those types of support. Yeah, every every birth I ever go to, I leave thinking, how could how could this happen without a doula? Like how <laughs> how is it possible? You know, we're always running around and getting things done and working. Like we when we work as doulas, we work hard. Like it's we need you know we never tell our clients this, but like we need body work the next day. Oh you yeah, know? and um, yeah, it's just it's a full on job. And how would you? Because we talked a bit about. Um, midwives and doulas and Bianca you brought up about kind of the difference between obstetrics and, and having a midwife. How does a doula work together with the birthing person, but as well with the medical team, whether it's a doctor or with a midwife during a birth? Well, so when, when there's the care of a doctor, whether it's a GP or an OB-GYN, um, they actually don't do a lot of the care um, when the person's actually in labor or, and through most of the second stage, which is the pushing and, and the actual like baby coming out in when we're talking about a vaginal delivery. Um, so we really work a lot with midwives when they come because I've had lots of home births where I'm like, yeah, you need to get here right now because the clients seem really calm. So they're like, no, I think we're still pretty early. And I'm like, no, I think you need to get here. So assuming that doesn't happen, we mostly work with the midwives and then um, with the nursing staff. And I mean, in our training, we drive home the point that we're working in their space when we're talking about the hospitals or the birth centers. So we need to be respectful of the fact that we are guests in their workspace. At the same time, our job's also to protect the um, client's wishes and preferences. So it's, you know, we do need to encourage our clients and their partners, if they have them, to use their voice to navigate through that system. So it's not, you know, we can end up, or 
we can keep our respect in that space up by not using our voices instead of encouraging our clients to use theirs. Um, I would say we have a really awesome working relationship with the midwives and nurses. Like I was just at a birth last week and the nurses were changing and in the hall, um, the nurse was telling the new nurse was like, Oh, Bianca's in there. She's a doula. She's like really competent. And like, I barely have to do anything. Like she even monitors the, the client's blood sugar, which I really just had to remind my client to take her <laughs> blood sugar and then wrote the number down for her. Um, and so like those sorts of things, she's like, no, they're like really good. You only need to check on them every once in a while. So maybe you can keep your eye on the room next door more because they're alone in the room. Um, so like to hear that, I mean, I right away text Tash and I was like, yeah, the nurses are bragging about me in the hall. <laughs> Um, and that's really positive because they, um, you know, had that experience with a doula and they leave their shift and they're like, oh, doulas are all right. Versus if somebody came in and, and, you know, spoke for the client, it might give them a different impression of what doulas do. And we really need to make sure that the hospitals and birth centers enjoy having us there because we know our clients do, but we also need to be bridging that gap between the client and their healthcare providers, including their nurses and support staff. So you mentioned that typically you'll stay a couple hours after someone births and then along the same lines, talking about birth doulas still, do you offer postpartum visits in terms of your packaging for most people? Yeah, for most doulas, at least the, our understanding of it or how we did it. Um, and like Bianca said, everybody can do their own business the way that they feel most comfortable we tended to have our postpartum visit after the baby was born when the family came home where we would discuss the birth and and just see um, how they're feeling after the birth, how they're healing, how they're feeling emotionally, how they're feeling physically, um, check in on the baby and, you know, really just kind of at this point being a sounding board should there have anything come up during the birth that we feel like they may need extra support around. And then we also would do a four-hour postpartum meeting where we would – so our our postpartum meeting was different than our, like, just seeing how they're feeling after birth. This is where we would come in and help with the baby a little bit more. So this is when we would move more into the postpartum care where we're helping with the baby, helping – essentially – taking care of the birth person so that they can better take care of the baby. You know, mm -hmm. I, I remember having this funny story with a friend of mine and I had been a doula for probably seven or eight years at this time. <laughs> and she said to me, like, after she had her baby, she lived an hour and a half away from me or something like that. And she was like, you know, I really wish there was somebody that could like, you know, I, you know, I really want to be the one holding my baby all the time. I just wish there was somebody that come in and could like, tidy up a little bit, bring me some snacks, bring me some water, you know, give me a second to shower, catch my breath from all of this. Like <laughs> somebody that would listen to me when I complained about the birth or complained about my partner. Like, I wish there was just somebody like that. And I was like, do you know what I do for a living? <laughs> it's like one of her best friends. Yeah. Not one like... of my best friends in the whole world. Um, clearly I don't like brag about what I do enough, but <laughs> But yeah, it's like essentially that's what we do for those four hours. So we would add that extra four hours into our appointment. And mostly for us, we did that so we could check in on the mental wellness of our client as well and make sure that they, they feel well. And if they need to be referred anywhere that we could do that. And then after that, we would typically hand over to a postpartum doula. Both Natasha and I, um, our focus is, Natasha's is fertility and birth and then mine's birth work. Um, but we are trained in all the facets and we train other people in all the facets. We're just less drawn to the postpartum work. When would a postpartum doula come to help and what would be some of the key things um, that they would help with in terms of newborn care or just what the birthing person needs? 
um, when people book a postpartum doula, some of them book that they actually have their first shift while they're still in the hospital. So that's not uncommon, um, especially in hospitals where um, partners, if they're male, can't spend the night in a in a shared room, which that's some hospitals policy. So it gives a little bit of a loop so that they can have that ongoing support um, while they're in there for their one to three days postpartum. And then, so that that's really from like the day the baby's born. Um, so anytime in the first uh, 24 weeks, and it's like Natasha said, they go in and um, the postpartum doulas do light, like tidying, not like scrub the bathroom floor and clean the oven, but like picking up toys, making sure the laundry's going through, um, making sure the, um, the parent or parents have time to nap if they want to. And then they, you know, the postpartum doula would wear the baby or, you know, take care of the baby while the parents napped or showered, um, making sure that they're there to answer any breastfeeding questions if they're choosing to breastfeed or, you know, safe formula feeding, um, any of the baby care. So some parents feel really nervous, for example, about doing the bath. Um, so that's where the postpartum doula would do hand over hand support with the parents so that, um, they can get more confident with that process. And really our job is to work ourselves out of a job. So, um, when, when people are like, yeah, I want you for 24 weeks, which Natasha and I have had clients that are like, we want somebody here every day for the first 24 weeks. We actually work, work on a weaning schedule because we want to, after that 24 week mark, know that those parents feel really confident being with their baby and, and knowing how to take care of them and knowing how to work in their self-care and, um, their relationship care and, you know, all of those facets, which are really important. And another big piece, like Natasha mentioned was the mental wellness part. Um, because we get the privilege of being in that uh, space, you know, during all hours of the day with clients that we can monitor their mental wellness that might be missed by their partner if they have one or their, you know, immediate friends and family. Um, and, you know, with the rates of both postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression just uh, steadily on the rise, it's really important that somebody is there to make suggestions or to refer um, refer them to, you know, whatever feels appropriate, depending on what their situation is. Yeah, that's some incredibly powerful support through that transition of the postpartum period. And it's making me think that we need to hire a postpartum doula <laughs> this time. I mean, yeah, I would suggest it. I know that for me, um, so I just recently had my second baby and I had um, a surgical birth as well. So, um, I went through my whole first postpartum experience without a postpartum doula because I was like stoic as heck. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, I, you know, I thought, oh, I'm strong and can do it all on my own, right? Um, you know, typical, typical me, <laughs> typical us, really. And then when I went into my second birth, I had learned so much from my first experience that I was like, there is no way I'm doing this without a postpartum doula. I had a postpartum doula from the very beginning. And, um, I just knew that, that I don't have family around in this, like my family is all in the East coast. So once my mom went home, I needed somebody and I knew it and it made all the difference as far as, um, like postpartum mental wellness. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, I'm so interested in this question for you. What are key items in your doula bag? Okay, well, I know. <laughs> First, we need to have a poke a little bit of fun at Natasha. This is a great question. We don't need to. Yeah, it's the best part because <laughs> for anybody, obviously, you can't see Natasha, but she's 
the most adorable thing ever made. And she's 4'11 and a half, but we'll give her five feet because that's important <laughs> to her. It is. Um, and so she's a, a very wee little thing. And when she was first practicing as a doula, she brought like every tool one could possibly ever use in labor and delivery, as well as a giant exercise ball in a red sack. So it looked like <laughs> she was like a little tiny Santa Claus coming to the hospital. Because <laughs> um, she brought like everything. And I mean, over the years, well, I mean, I would say my initial year of doula work, my bag was like pretty chock-a-block with stuff. And I now take to a birth my TENS machine with new batteries, new leads, and two sets of pads, and my self-care stuff, which includes, like, my toiletry bag and copious amounts of food for me. Yeah, I bring food now. Food and chapstick, a hair elastic, yeah. stuff for me, really. Yeah, my bag is, like, all my own self-care. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, but really, it's it's all the... You know, you learn or at first you feel when you're a doula that you're just not going to be enough support. Like you never feel ready to do it. Mm-hmm. You're always like, I need this and so that I can do this to help or I need this so that I can do this to help. But really your presence is often enough. Um, just that calm presence of someone who's educated in childbirth makes all the difference in the emotional well-being of your client. They feel safer and therefore birth moves easier. Um, so you, they don't they don't need all the bells and whistles. They need your you know loving and compassionate eyes and they need your hands mm-hmm. and that's about it. And you get creative. Like I know initially I used to bring like heat pads and ice packs and um, my rebozo and now I know I can literally make all those like MacGyver them out of hospital and birth center supplies like a, a glove filled with crushed ice which there's crushed ice machines everywhere is like the best ice pack and then you can just throw it in the garbage and you can take a sheet and make a rebozo and do creative positions with it and then again it can just get tossed into the laundry so like all these things that I used to think we needed tools for I'm like the hospital has everything that we need as well as the few items for comfort that we suggest we actually tell our clients to bring them so like if you want olive oil pair poured over your perineum during the second stage make sure you bring a little shampoo container full of olive oil or um if there's music you really love or if you want to bring some talisman like photos or the baby's outfit that we can tape up on the wall because you feel like that's great or your affirmation cards or whatever it is we tell them to bring that because then they have their things that are usually that feel better and um they can connect with while they're in labor and what would be, what's one of the key things you do before you head out to a birth? Oh, try to sleep, I think, yeah. is the thing. Typically, we're getting the phone calls at 1 or 2 a.m. that they think something's happening. So I think a really typical doula response, um, barring any, like, variability, is they'll say, I think something's happening, this is happening, this is happening. And usually that question, I think something's happening means that yes something's happening but we're not ready yet um, to be using our energy to care for it like what we all need to be doing is sleeping so that's the first thing we'll do is say okay yeah sounds like something's happening that's so exciting take a bath that will probably slow down the contractions and then you can have us asleep and then in the meantime we'll sleep as well but I think for many of us like it's too exciting (laughs) (laughs) to sleep even still like if my clients text me in the night I'm like well there goes my night sleep not in a martyry way but just like I can't just like go back to my dreamy sleep um because 
I know that we're going to get called anytime or they might have needs or it's exciting. And I always dream that my phone's ringing and I'm sleeping through it, even though that's not happening. No. Um, so yeah, I would say sleep, making sure that you eat and you get your stuff together. Like if you have little ones, that's a, that's a factor for Tash and I that, um, like make sure that your care is set up and you know, if your kids are in school, that somebody's there to pick them up after school in case you're still at the birth, like all those kind of details I would say is usually what doulas spring into action with. So tell us more about your company, Babo Mia and how you mentor and train doulas and just what else you are doing in your business. Um, Babel Me is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, no, it's a, like it's, it. we like it a lot. No, it's a really safe, inclusive community, which, um, is really hard to find in this world, this day and age. So, um, we're very proud of what we've built. We're really proud of our team, um, to find all these people that are really passionate and excited to truly make a difference in reproductive health for, um, the fertility birth and parenting journeys for so many families. Um, so we, I mean, like I mentioned before, we started Babel Mia as actually serving parents. So we served parents through their fertility, um, birth and postpartum periods. And now we exclusively serve practitioners so they can go through, I mean, most people come through our, um, flagship program, which is our doula training, um, called our MSP course. And then from that, I mean, the majority of people go on to specialize in, some of our specialty programs that we have for fertility or for birth or for the parenting journey. Um, and then one of the pieces that we're really, really proud of outside of our awesome community <laughs> is um, our business support. So Natasha and I fumbled along. Um, it was messy and expensive and time consuming as we built our business over the last um, 10 years. And we have created a, a business school for um professionals that work with anybody in the fertility birth and postpartum period. And so, um, that business school allows us to pass on our pearls of wisdom and to offer that same support and, and love to practitioners as, um, they're doing their training and setting their businesses up, what, regardless of what size, because, you know, we built from actually nothing. Like we threw $20 into a bank account when we first opened Baywell Mia 10 years ago and we grew a six-figure business in our first year. Um, so, you know, we know we have pearls of wisdom to pass on to people. And we have we have also things that we messed up on too, right? So oh, yeah. we have great successes, but we also have times where we kind of fully fell flat on our face. <laughs> um, and so a lot of the times when we're discussing with people how to get their business going, we do have the ability to say, you know, it's that unbiased support again or that um, evidence-based support where we're like, here are the different options, here are things that happen, what is the best decision for you and your business, right? And we're able to give, you know, information about how it was for us and what happened for us, but we're also able to say like, and for you, it might be totally different. Like we mm -hmm. fell on our face doing this, but you probably, because you have this different thing happening, it might be so much better for you. So a lot of encouragement, a lot of support, but also just letting people know like, we, we've kind of paved the way as best we could as far as growing a doula business so that they can, e it's easier for them to get to where we were than it was for us because there was nobody doing what we were doing at the time. 
Mm-hmm. And and like our um, doula training where we have these communities, all of our courses, so we offer a sleep specialty, which is the art and science of infant sleep. Um, we have a fertility specialist program, so that's for people who want to um, offer support one-on-one or support groups for people trying to conceive. Uh, we have our breastfeeding course, which interestingly, we just had a midwife write to us um, that she is in her midwifery program right now. And she also took our breastfeeding course. And she said she learned um, more in our first class of our breastfeeding course than she did in her whole midwifery breastfeeding experience. And she highlighted that like, around the world, we're doing this huge push to focus on lactation and to support um, breastfeeding and chest feeding. And she said that it was disappointing to see how poor the training is considering this is like a global mission is to improve um, lactation and, and the success rate and her training was just like flat on her face. So we, we just got that bit of feedback last week and mm. it was really exciting for us to know that our course is really inclusive and just chock-a-block. It's longer than the 20-hour World Health Organization course and we're very, very proud of it. And it, it is it does look into the globalization of breastfeeding mm-hmm. and chest feeding as well. So it's not just like, here's how you do a latch, but like, what is the impact? Mm-hmm. And what, like after natural disasters, like what happens, which the world is constantly experiencing them, whether it's natural disasters or wars or, you know, things that are happening. Um, So like we actually do a deep dive into like, how can we support lactation and how can we like be of assistance in our countries because we are global. So people around the world are taking this course, like how can you make a difference and actually support lactation for these communities? Um, so we, we have the breastfeeding and we do um, an eco baby course. So it's to support families in doing green, like making green choices that are affordable for their families. And we have a diverse families. And that one's really important um, because it does talk about working with um, families outside of the heteronormative, able-bodied white model, which is what pretty much every book and every movie and every course focuses on. So we look at ability. We look at um, the queer community, solo parenting, poly families, um, size. body size, which is a big one for us, body positivity, um, you know, racialized maternal health. Uh, so like we, we have all these um, people that would identify in those marginalized communities, speak about their experience and, and share the stats around that so that we can create better practitioners that are equipped to work outside of that um, able-bodied heteronormative thin model. That's amazing. And we know we're going to have a lot of listeners who are going to be wanting to find out more either about the courses, because we may have some aspiring doulas or those wanting to take the various courses you just mentioned. Um, And also, I'm sure many who had no idea what a doula did and um, will now be seeking one out. So how can any of the listeners contact you or find you online? Well, our Facebook page is bumping. It's a good place to <laughs> hang out. We do lots of interviews and, and um, we share really great research and really fun blog posts. And, you know, it's a it's a really great community to be a part of if people want to just have a look and see what we're about. And it would be awesome for both practitioners as well as parents, um, just with the content that goes up there. And so that's at um, Babel Mia Inc. It's easy to find us on Facebook. And then um, our website is www.babelmia.com. So that's also, um, you can find out when upcoming courses are happening and um, our new semester system, which we'll be rolling out this September. So people can find out what course they're interested in and see what semester it's offered. 
Amazing. Any anything else that either of you want to bring up or talk about anything we didn't mention? I just wanted to also talk about our Facebook group, which is called Strategies and Support for Doulas in Business, which is for um, you know birth parenting and fertility professionals who just need some business advice and support in that that community of cheerleaders to help them out. So if you wanted to join a really great and inclusive community of doulas, that would be a good one. And it's free to join. Oh, yeah, totally. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bianca and Natasha, for coming on. I know Jess and I were very excited to have you chat with our audience. Um, And just to share about doula care, there's so many questions around it. So definitely this episode we'll both be referring to for clients to check out to learn more. Um, And we also have some other topics we're excited to have you both back to to chat about as well. Oh, yay. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Thank you for thinking of us. It's always, you know, really exciting to see more people spreading the word around, um, you know, taking care of the entire family through this really exciting and a little bit scary time of fertility, birth and the postpartum period. On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we have registered massage therapist Nicole Nifo. Nicole works primarily with pregnant and postpartum populations, and it was so incredible to hear her talk about the work that she does, how she treats clients in the perinatal chapters to help their physical comfort and mental health how she helps them work with pelvic and low back pain, and of particular interest about how she helps them with C-section recovery. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 